This is the In Focus podcast from the Hindu. Good morning and welcome to the Hindu's In Focus podcast. I'm Zubeda Hamid, your host for today. The COVID-19 pandemic has now entered rural parts of our country where nearly 70% of our population lives. Data from May shows that the caseload is now 65% in rural and semi-rural areas versus 35% in urban and semi-urban areas. Even as hospitals in our cities and towns are overloaded and overwhelmed, our rural health infrastructure is in danger of collapsing with a shortage of testing kits, drugs and trained healthcare professionals. There are reports of village residents having to travel for hours to try and secure a hospital bed and with deaths increasing there are images of bodies floating on rivers as the people of India attempt to deal with an unprecedented crisis. The government of India has released an SOP on COVID-19 containment and management in peri-urban, rural and tribal areas. But how much of this is feasible? Were we unprepared for the surge of the virus in rural India? What measures can now be put in place to revamp our primary health systems that have in many parts of our country been consistently ignored and underfunded for decades? To speak to us about this, we have with us today Dr. S.P. Kalantri, Professor of Medicine at the Mahatma Gandhi Institute of Medical Sciences and Medical Superintendent of Kasturba Hospital Sevagram. Good morning Dr. Kalantri and welcome to the Hindus in Focus podcast. Doctor, during the first wave of the pandemic there was some hope that the virus would not reach villages and rural areas where 65% of our country lives. But we now have a huge number of cases often in places that are ill equipped to test and treat. Uh, well, I live in a small village called Sevagram in Vardha district in eastern Maharashtra and I work in a medical school and a thousand bed hospital here. And uh, I agree with you that to begin with, for at least for the first couple of uh, months after the COVID had entered India, uh, the COVID virus was kind to us in the rural areas and in the villages. And while the virus was hitting the cities and the large towns, right, left, and center, we had relatively fewer patients coming from rural areas and the villages in our catchment area. And the virus didn't have an easy passage into the rural areas for several reasons that. A, there were travel restrictions. B, there were lockdowns there. And uh, even when the virus entered the villages, the transmission was rather low because the villages tend to have lower population. Each village in our area has a population of about between 500 and, and 2,000 here. And then people tend to live in their huts or small houses which are relatively more ventilated compared to the urban areas there. The population density is also lower in rural areas compared to the urban areas. Uh, the villages are relatively free from the comorbidities like diabetes, high blood pressure, heart attacks, and, and so on. So to begin with, between May and uh, February, when the first wave was all around, well, we too had our share of COVID patients, but in the first wave, we were relatively spared uh, of the kind of a uh, attack that the virus had in the, ma- ma- in the major cities here. But come February, uh, if our hospital data is anything to go by, find that 
by February, the number of patients admitted to a rural hospital had come down to only 28 from an all-time high of 250. And we started celebrating. But then we soon realized that our celebrations were premature because in the first week of uh, April, the virus entered again and it began to hit us mercilessly. And we found that the hospital services were completely overwhelmed and we were just not able to cope with the increased load of very seriously ill hypoxic COVID patients coming to the hospital. We should not only blame the lack of COVID appropriate behavior for the virus to come. Uh, it would be a too simplistic uh, 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 explanation for the second wave. But probably the virus turned more virulent, the virus became more aggressive, the virus became more transmissible. And after cities, now it also started now hitting the rural areas. So probably the reason as to why the virus entered the rural areas is multifold. There is some problem in agent, there is some problem in host, and there is some problem in environment. And all these things put together created a perfect milieu for the virus to enter rural areas. Right. Dr. Data from this month shows us that the estimated COVID-19 caseload split is now 65% in rural and semi-rural areas versus only 35% in urban and semi-urban areas. We are hearing horrific reports about bodies floating in rivers as the system deals with an unprecedented number of deaths. What will this mean for the rural health system in our country that is already poor in many parts? Well, we all know that uh, the rural residents represent about uh, 65% of the India's population, but close to two-thirds of India's hospitals, about 80% of doctors, and about three-quarters of pharmacies are located in urban areas. So there's a sharp divide between rural and urban areas. And there are roughly only three government hospital beds for 10,000 people in rural areas. So typically, persons living in rural areas tend to live about four to five years shorter on an average compared to their urban counterparts. So if we come down to a typical rural areas, rural area, the healthcare is provided by a primary health center. And a typical primary health center in my setting would care for close to 30 to 50,000 individuals in that area. Now, given that our healthcare system is not properly equipped, there are not enough healthcare professionals in our primary and secondary healthcare systems there. The hospitals do not have enough drugs, equipment, and monitoring system. And the healthcare professionals are not properly trained. And in fact, when this COVID epidemic started hitting the rural areas, we suddenly found that whatever little manpower we had, some few doctors and nurses and paramedics in the rural areas, they were not sufficiently trained to know what this COVID virus is all about, how to screen for that virus, how to diagnose it, how to treat it, uh, what are the protocols for isolation, for quarantine, for readmission, how to monitor these people for hypoxia, and, and so on. So given all these things that, well, the doctors don't exist in rural areas, the hospitals are terrible, uh, there is not enough uh, uh, drugs and monitoring system or equipment and the doctors are not properly trained. If they're not properly trained to take care of a COVID 
Now, this created huge, huge problems there. With the result that almost all COVID patients started now migrating to the bigger cities or bigger hospitals or large hospitals. And these large hospitals got completely overwhelmed because many of these patients could have been taken care of in a primary setting or even at district hospitals. So this created a huge imbalance between uh, the three tiers of a system that operates in India, the primary, secondary and tertiary. Primary healthcare in the rural areas became completely uh, dysfunctional and the tertiary care hospitals in the large cities were so hugely now uh, the demands were so huge that they were just not able to cope with this. So all these things put together now uh, created a lot of problems during the second wave. Doctor, you spoke about hospitals in our cities being completely overwhelmed. In some parts of the country now, it is extremely difficult to even get a hospital bed. At this point, what sort of critical infrastructure needs to be put in place in small towns and villages in the government health system? The primary health centers, as you mentioned, are the building blocks of the government health system in our rural parts. What needs to be done to equip them to treat patients? Uh, I would like to refer to the standard operating procedures released by the Ministry of Health and Family Welfare very recently. But if my memory serves me right, it was May 16 that this document came in public domain. And this document is titled COVID-19 Containment and Management in Rural, Peri-Urban and Tribal Areas. And uh, I'm happy to share with you that many of the physicians and many of the faculty members from the community medicine department from our institute also contributed to this document. So broadly speaking, this is a document that covers surveillance, screening, isolation, and referral. It also addresses the issue of home and community-based isolation. It also talks about how to monitor active cases in home isolation and how to ensure that the hypoxic patients are really picked up at the right time in their home environment and are quickly transferred to the secondary care or a tertiary care. And it also talks about about the care at COVID care centers or dedicated COVID health centers or dedicated COVID hospitals here. So the proposal looks good on theory, but then when it comes to implementation, I find it to be a bit difficult to implement many of the recommendations in the, in the proposal. For example, one of the recommendations is that uh, now we need to have a door-to-door survey and we need to have a surveillance of COVID symptoms and those who are symptomatic, they must be tested in their homes by rapid antigen test. Now, there are problems, okay, unless now we mobilize the local communities, engage them and teach them and engage uh, the Anganwadi workers, ASHA workers, uh, the local teachers, local volunteers, uh, say students from schools and colleges and probably some like-minded non-government organizations it would be very difficult to do a door-to-door survey, ask few questions in the families, figure out who is symptomatic and who is not, and, and then to convince those who are symptomatic to get tested here. The test that this document offers and ministry has recently offered is a rapid antigen test. But we know that the di- rapid antigen test has diagnostic limitations. Its diagnostic accuracy when it comes to sensitivity is only 50%. So the problem doesn't end there. Hypothetically, suppose I pick up someone in a village by going to his doorstep and find that the person is 
COVID positive by a rapid test or by an RT-PCR, isn't it? Then the next step is that how do I hold the patient at home for the next week? Make sure that I monitor his oxygen levels a day, get data on his comorbidities, calculate his risk, and ensure that whenever he worsens, he or she would be quickly transferred to a tertiary care hospital where there are oxygen beds or there are facilities for mechanical ventilator and a true ICU care. Now, right now we are finding that the oxygen beds are not available all over the country. So people often travel from pillar to post, finding a bed and the ICUs are so overwhelmed that uh, try hard as we might, it is nearly impossible to offer uh, 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 ICU bed with a mechanical ventilator, say in the middle of the night. So unless we have uh, we ensure that there is a good uh, working relationship between primary care, secondary care, and tertiary care. And the patients are seamlessly transferred back and forth between these three levels of uh, healthcare. Uh, many of these recommendations they look good, but uh, we will have a lot of problems now uh, trying to implement uh, these recommendations. Doctor, you spoke about the need for a strong primary healthcare system in our country. Especially, we are seeing the need for it now, especially when the pandemic has entered the rural parts of our country. Is our primary healthcare system poor right now because of years of consistent underfunding by the government? Yeah, absolutely. Because there are two main issues at stake. The one is an underinvestment or underfunding. And second is poor governance of the health sector. Now, there are two issues which the government needs to address very urgently. We must also understand that over the years, India has had a very severe shortage of human resources for health. We just don't have enough doctors, nurses, paramedics, lab technicians, and pharmacists working at the primary uh, healthcare area. There's also a shortage of qualified health workers, and we all know that the, our all human resources are focused in urban areas. Now, if you want to bring qualified health workers to the rural areas, remote areas, tribal areas, and underserved areas, that very process is extremely challenging. Because, And we all know that most Indians who are living in a very remote and tribal areas, they do not often get a scientific medicine, but they often get their health care from unqualified doctors or quacks also. Add to that, the nurses do not have much authority to say within the health system. And there are not enough resources that would ensure that these nurses are properly trained to address to the felt needs and unvoiced concerns of the rural communities. As a medical teacher, I also find that although India boasts about 500 odd medical schools, a very little attention is paid during medical education to the medical and public health needs of the community. So we are all focused on curative care. But there is little emphasis on primary care, little emphasis on preventive care. And the medical students, when they become doctors and acquire an MBBS degree and they go to the rural areas, they find that the medical knowledge that they acquired or the skills that they acquired during those five or six years in a medical school are just not enough to uh, fix those problems in the rural areas. And they find themselves very, very inadequate. So I believe that uh, we need to strengthen the public health system. We need to strengthen the facilities of public health system. Mm -hmm. We also need to improve the working and living conditions of the public health workers 
uh, who might go to the villages and serve people. We also need to strengthen the nursing and paramedic cadres. And the government must provide enough incentives to encourage qualified health workers to serve in rural areas, remote areas, tribal areas, um, underserved areas. And it's also important that our healthcare workers are reoriented to the medical education, proper training, in particular that of doctors, that they're able to meet the health and public health needs of the country. So long as we do not strengthen our healthcare professionals and make sure that they have got a right kind of an environment and they are sufficiently motivated to serve in the rural areas. And until such time, they are adequately trained during their formative years in medical school. I think the the challenges uh, uh, would would be there. So would you say that the ASHAs and the Anganwadi workers and the community health officers play a huge role in the rural healthcare system? Absolutely, because see that uh, these are the healthcare professionals that they see in their uh, villages day in and day out. These are the healthcare workers that they can relate to. So, so, but suddenly if you uh, send them to a strange hospital about 50 kilometers and doctors don't speak the same language as the villagers would do, I always believe that uh, COVID-19 is a community problem. And if it's a community problem, the solutions must come from individual local communities. and. Our past experience has shown that if we have enough trust in the abilities of the local workers, right from ASHA workers and Anganwadi workers and village sanitation and nutrition committee members, even local teachers, gram panchayats, self-help groups, uh, they can help us in a huge way uh, uh, bridge those gaps, isn't it? educate these people properly, address their concerns and, and help us contain this epidemic. So the emphasis has to be at the community level, the emphasis has to be at a local level, and we must decentralize the entire process of screening, diagnosing, detecting, treating, monitoring, and subsequent hospitalization. Doctor, would you say that the rural healthcare system now is dealing with the double burden of not just COVID-19, but also the regular diseases that people contract on a day-to-day basis? Uh, Absolutely. Because see that Ever since COVID-19 arrived in our country, uh, the non-COVID illnesses started getting neglected or marginalized. Many of the public hospitals got converted into a dedicated hospital beds. There was a shortage of a hospital bed. Uh, There was a shortage of human resources. Even the healthcare professionals who were caring for this patient, they themselves got infected. There was a lack of uh, proper equipment. Even in the tertiary care hospitals, these ICUs and mechanical ventilators and monitoring systems were shifted from non-COVID areas. Then we must remember that even in rural areas, people do get heart attack. Liver goes out of action. Uh, they meet with an accident. The women would deliver. The neonates would develop infection. The people would need surgery for their cancers or they would have their chemotherapies scheduled. So unless we ensure that this COVID, non-COVID illnesses are not neglected or marginalized or uh, put at the back seat. Uh, these non-COVID illnesses might probably take a much heavier toll compared to the COVID illness. So it's a huge challenge that right now the entire healthcare system is completely overwhelmed. How do you balance the proper treatment between COVID illness and non-COVID illness? And the hospitals and the healthcare professionals and the systems would have to devise their own 
ways which should be applicable locally there to ensure that while we are treating covid 19 well we do not underestimate the importance of uh, non covid illness for example of chronic kidney disease who require maintenance dialysis if you don't dialyze them in a 15 days or a month uh, they would die because of complications of a kidney disease pregnant women who are about to deliver unless they are offered institutionalized deliveries uh, their perinatal outcomes might not be as good as it is usually expected during non covid uh, period the patients of cancers cannot wait they cannot wait their cancers to degenerate from stage 1 to stage 4 and then being told that well now the cancer is uh, inoperable there or the people who have got heart attacks cannot wait for their angioplasty or a bypass surgery for another 3 months or 6 months so all these things also need to be prioritized and we need to walk a very tight the rope walk doctor at this point in the pandemic what are the concrete steps that the government can take in terms of uh, strengthening our rural health infrastructure system uh, so that the um, <clears throat> so that the burden of the pandemic is not felt as much well the first thing is that well uh, we must understand the importance of a primary healthcare and public health over the years uh, health is being diverted and we are going more and more for a privatization of healthcare workers i do not deny the importance of uh, of uh, tertiary care uh, in a big cities where they can offer care for complex cardiac neurological liver kidney uh, problems or cancers and and, and so on but at the same at the same time our public health right from primary health centers uh district hospitals medical college hospitals setup must be strengthened but we feel that over the years there has been a systematic deterioration in hospitals and about the primary health centers the less said the better so a we need good funding b we need a good governance c we must ensure that all these public health facilities are properly equipped not only in healthcare resources but we have got enough drugs enough monitoring system enough infrastructure ambulances and diagnostic tests and finally we must have a proper primary secondary and tertiary care where a person from a village can travel seamlessly from village to a town down to a city and once the person's medical needs are properly addressed then the person can go back to the village and can have his chronic illnesses monitored and treated there i can uh, it's it's difficult to visualize as to why a person with a high blood pressure or a diabetes need to travel from his village to a city for about 50 kilometers spend a lot of money on his travel he or she loses one day wage and and, and then gets a, a very expensive care so all these illnesses must be addressed at, in, at the primary health center and for that we also need a better education of students in the medical colleges where uh, they are uh, taught uh, how to treat people in remorse in resource limited setting and how to make sure that their knowledge and skills that they acquire during those formative five years is translated into the visible outcomes so far as the patient's care is concerned would you say now that a huge vaccination push is required in our rural uh, settings doctor absolutely because the numbers speak for themselves i mean 70% of india lives in villages okay they are the people who are most productive they are the people who are at the peak of their careers they are all principal breadwinners for their families 
So if we neglect these rural communities and focus our attention on a relatively rich population, people who can afford, people who can access healthcare, and neglect people who are already marginalized, who are unable to access healthcare, who live in remote areas, then probably we will not be able to offer a realistic solution to the pandemic. So the villages, rural communities, tribal areas, underserved areas are as important, if not more important, than towns and big cities. Thank you very much for speaking to me again, Doctor. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah. Thank you. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.